Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Last time on Mentally Yours, my life stopped in about 2016 because I decided to start trying for a baby. And I was medicated for severe depression and anxiety, got over that, well, not over it, got past that to the point where I could function again, started trying again for a baby, and it's a year and a half later, and I appeared to still not be pregnant. So the show is sort of about having had what was um, diagnosed as postnatal depression without the baby. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. You should also check out our other podcast called Good Sex, Bad Sex. So my name is Yvette. Our guest this week is Matt Haig. So he's a fantastic author, best-selling author of Reasons to Stay Alive and How to Stop Time. We're going to be chatting to him about his new book, which is called Notes on a Nervous Planet, and also his own experiences of mental health issues and anxiety and how he thinks the modern world is affecting everyone's mental health. Matt Haig! Thank you so much for coming on Mentally Yours. It's a pleasure. Thank you for asking me. So we're here to chat about, well, all things mental health as usual, but in particular, your new book, Notes on a Nervous Planet. So what was your motivation for writing this fantastic book? Well, I'd written a book called Reasons to Stay Alive. And um, after that, I, I thought I'd sort of left the topic alone. I went to write absolutely the opposite kind of thing. I was no longer talking about my sort of depression and anxiety. I, was, I wrote a book about Father Christmas. I wrote a book about 439-year-old man. I, I did all kinds of different stuff. And I thought I had nothing else to say. I certainly didn't want to write sort of reasons to stay alive too or anything like that. But um, over the last sort of few years since I wrote that book, I've um, realized that a lot of my own mental health issues and things that I didn't touch on really at all in Reasons to Stay Alive 
I didn't really understand the context of my um, mental health in terms of the world. You know, we often talk about physical health, about how lifestyle and physical health. We don't do that much with mental health. Uh, you know, like with physical health, we obviously know that if we just live on fast food, if we don't sleep, if we if we sort of spend time, you know, passive smoking or smoking, or whatever it is, we know how that affects us. But we're not so good at recognising the things that are bad for our mental health. So I was trying to do a much broader, much bigger book, not specifically about mental illness, but about mental health, about stress, about um, technology, about how our minds interact with this incredibly like fast changing. 21st century life we're living in. Um, before we chat a bit more about this new book, um, so for those who don't know, can you tell us a little bit more about your original book, uh, Reasons to Stay Alive, and your own background in terms of mental health? Yeah, Reasons to Stay Alive was a book I wrote a few years ago, and it was about my experience of having a breakdown when I was 24, falling into sort of panic disorder, depression, anxiety, three years of like deep, deep um, heavy-duty illness then my recovery from that I didn't think it was ever going to be written but when I did write it sort of over a decade from the experience I'm writing about it was um the easiest most sort of cathartic thing I've ever done it was just was all there it just sort of came out of me and I was writing it very clearly like even though you know I'm lucky enough it's been sort of like number one bestseller and different things and it's done well and it was always written to be sort of like a side project it was sort of never written to be a big book but I only ever had one reader that I was writing to and it was like my 24 year old self I was trying to sort of send a message back through time to see because I, I very nearly like threw myself off a cliff in Ibiza and I was very nearly um yeah not here and I was trying to sort of like find the words to sort of keep someone here and to give them that perspective that only the passage of time can give in terms of that difficult time of your life I mean it's always really difficult when we talk about this on the podcast depression and anxiety and suicide but looking back at that now can you identify reasons for why that was happening it is a problematic question because I know depression just happens there's not yeah. a reason yeah but uh, it does just happen I and mean, this is one of the things I'm talking about in, new, in the new but I was talking about how like it's never just either or, you know, like I, one of the things that made me more ill when I was ill was thinking there was no reason that I was just sort of like, I had lost the mental health lottery and I was just like stuck mm. in this flat state forever and I couldn't get out. And it was that, that fear that nearly cost me my life. The fact that I couldn't escape it. If I'd have believed in the future now where I'd be sort of speaking at the age of 42 and, and still here and having a happy life and stuff, that would never have been a question. But I couldn't see that future. I couldn't imagine that future at that point. So it was um, it was really, it, really like, it was only with hindsight over the years that I worked out that there were reasons why I became ill. And they weren't solely to do with my genetic makeup. They were... I've obviously been, had this brain given to me, you know, I can't do anything about that. But, I can't, you know, our brains are shaped not just by genetics, just as our bodies are shaped by how we live. Our minds are too. And so 
over the years, I, I've worked out various things that are making me ill. I was living very unhealthily. I was in a beefer. I wasn't particularly into drugs, although I did take drugs. But I was drinking far too heavily. I was smoking. I wasn't sleeping. I was partying. I did, had no idea of my future in life. And um, it was basically like a midlife crisis come early. We were two weeks before we were heading back to London to sort of finally face up to adulthood, get a job. Everywhere, and I just couldn't cope with it. And then one morning... A relatively healthy day, actually. I'd been for a run, hadn't drank anything, probably smoked a cigarette or two, but nothing more than that. And I had this panic attack and it just didn't end. There was no sort of... You, know, you think of a panic attack, if you've never had a panic attack, as something that it lasts for 10 minutes is horrible, but you sort of walk it off, you breathe into a paper bag, you go for a walk, whatever. The adrenaline runs out and you're over it. And this was a panic attack that just didn't end. And um, when it did end, I was in a state of like depression meets panic disorder where I was just in continuous heavy dread for the next experience. We often talk about like post-traumatic stress disorder as a separate thing responding to a real-life external event. And it absolutely is that. But I think there's a kind of and it hasn't really got a label yet, there's a kind of experience you can have with a sudden onset of a mental illness where the shock of that is traumatising. So you sort of, you're ill, but on top of the illness is the shock of having the illness. Mm -hmm. You sort of get depressed about having depression, you get anxious about having anxiety, and so you've got this extra layer on top of you. And that's the layer you can do stuff about. That's, you know, and, and like when fighting stigma and, Hopefully my books and podcasts like this do a lot to sort of take away that shame about the stuff, you know. Mm. No, I totally agree. What are the things do you think people can do when they are in that situation? Because I completely relate to what you just said. Um, I've got bipolar disorder. When I had my first manic episode, it was absolutely that. So I got ill, then I got depressed, then I got suicidal. But part of that was not just the fact that I'd been ill. It was also oh my goodness, I have bipolar, well, I didn't know I had bipolar disorder, but oh my goodness, um, you know, I've gone mad. Mm. And what does that actually mean in terms totally. of who I am? That was my total understanding of uh, mental health or lack of understanding. I thought there was two states in life, sanity and madness. Mm. And, uh, you know, it was literally that sort of medieval. And I just thought, oh my God, I'm going mad. And my, lit, all, the images that kept on coming from me were were from like, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, which I'd seen about five times. So I was just thinking of um, straight jackets, electric shock therapy. I was just thinking of the sort of cliched Hollywood images of mental illness. If a young person, well, a person yeah. of any age has been through an experience like that, or whether it's a panic attack or yeah, depression yeah. or something, and then they realise, you know, something's happened that's challenging like that, what what should they then do to sort of move past it? Well, obviously, you know, um, they have to do the official things like they have to um, go to the doctor, they have to get a diagnosis. You have to sort of understand what you've got. Mm -hmm. And often that's not a simple thing. You know, like with me, I, I, I had about four different diagnoses and it's a bit hit and miss. And you, you never... 100% no, if you, you know, in 100 years time, it'd probably be given slightly different labels, but you have to get the best understanding of what you've got at that point. And um, then you can do something about it. I mean, I went about it the wrong way, really, because part of my problem was I was I was um, phobic about getting help. I mean, you should absolutely get help. But I, I was I, I was scared. I was agoraphobic, for one thing. I was scared because I'd had a bad experience on diazepam. I was scared of getting more pills. I was doing everything wrong. And so in my case, I went the sort of long, hard way of working out everything that made me feel worse 
everything that made me feel better, which varies from person to person, obviously. So alcohol was definitely one of the one of the things, but it's cigarettes, diet, working out those things. Those are things that I sort of worked out early on. Um, but then, you know, it's taken me years, and I still I'm still not totally there in terms of understanding myself. But over the years, you kind of build up things that can protect you to a, to a degree. You know, whether it's not drinking coffee like I don't or going to bed before midnight or whatever it is um, but Notes on Another Planet was me trying to take that to the next level where I'd sort of really research as much as we've got the research now understanding what are the things that are actually causing us you know threatening our mental health. Yeah it's really interesting this book got lots of pages turned down and you say things like the world is having a panic attack and you're looking at all the different kinds of things that yeah. are affecting our mental health. Because I think it's important to talk about mental health, like everybody's mental health, rather than necessarily just talk about mental illness or mental health conditions. And how, what's interesting about mental health is that it's not always set in stone. Like, there's always obviously been depression, there's always been schizophrenia, there's always been these things. But there's a cultural element to them, rates change, you know some more than others i mean eating disorders is a famous one that's very cultural and it's you know in some cultures like fiji for instance before the 90s had almost no recorded incidents of eating disorders and then they got a load of tvs and american tv shows and suddenly they had all these sort of western problems and issues mm. and i think it is cultural i mean suicide is cultural it, it, it changes between eras it, cha- it changes between genders it changes between countries and cultures and rather than that being a depressing thing i find it a kind of comforting thing because it shows you that there are things you can change there are things individuals can change there are things societies can change to give us hope and to make us feel better. It's not saying there'd never be any mental illness, but within having a mental illness, there are things that we can we can do. As I say, that was like the worst thing for me, that feeling of being trapped and powerless. And so just knowing what social media is having an effect, just being able to work out, like when I'm in like a, an anxiety dip or a depression dip now, trying to sort of trace back and be your own detective okay, well, I wasn't sleeping well last week. This happened and I've been drowning under work and all of this. And and then that in itself, I don't know why, but that in itself offers a kind of comfort because it says, A, it's not permanent, and B, there's a way into it, so there's a way out of it. You cover loads of stuff in the book, but just sort of briefly, what are the different elements that you feel are kind of causing the world generally to be in this sort of state of panic, you sort of cover things like social media. Well, I think it's all sorts of things, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think a lot of it is technological. I mean, if you look at the whole span of like human history, most um, changes to sort of the human way of life were technological changes, whether it's the agricultural revolution, whether it's industrial revolution. And now we're in a, like the fastest period of technological change. And I'm not definitely not saying all this change is bad. There's some great um, things about technology, but. I'm saying change in itself is stressful. Like in our own life, often one of the triggers for sort of mental health problems is change. And it's not always bad change. You know, obviously, if you're, you're grieving a partner or something, that's, that's, that's a very bad change. We can understand how the depression happens. But it also can happen when we become, become a parent. It can happen when we get a promotion. It can happen when we have, you know, when people win the lottery or when someone suddenly becomes famous. So any kind of change can 
be unsettling. So it's interesting when it happens all at once to mm. everybody, to the world. Like we're in a state. I think if you look at every single change that's going on, like you'd read about in a newspaper, whether it's political change, environmental change, whatever it is, at its underlying heart, there's some sort of like technological factor. So this isn't a book primarily about technology. It's a book primarily about mental health. But all the basics of how we live, whether it's sleep, whether it's what we eat, is impacted in some way by the sort of technological societies that have sort of taken us away from our sort of natural cave people self. For instance, sleep, you know, like uh, I quote in the book, the, the, the guy who runs Netflix, whose name I've temporarily forgotten, Reed Hastings, I think. But anyway, he, he said quite proudly at a, a, a conference that sleep is Netflix's main competitor because that's where they can make new money. They're not competing with HBO or Amazon. They're competing with sleep mm. because if they can get people to stay awake then um, they make more money and um you know this goes back to like thomas edison with his light bulb who thought right we're entering this new age where people wouldn't really need to sleep they could sort of have an hour's sleep and we've got this idea you know world leaders proudly say oh i get up at three thirty in the morning and stuff and there's so much research now that sleep is absolutely essential mm. to our health to our productivity everything else mm. and i realized that you know certainly when i was living in ibiza i wasn't sleeping hardly at all and i you know just simple things like that which we're not mindful of how it affects uh um mental health and where that comes from and how much pressure there is to be unhealthy you know we're losing these spaces whether it's a space of sleep whether it's a space of a weekend we're losing the spaces where we can just sort of step back from the world and step back from technology and things mm. yeah i find it very interesting in your book because you sort of take sections like that but then you offer sort of lists of ideas and sort of for people to kind of consider in their own lives so in terms of sort of if you're a bit obsessed with social media ways that you can uh, try and address that and it's i love, love that your heading is because it's it's not it's not things like you know here's how to you know ace social media it's, it's basically things like here's how to you know attempt to not go mad over social media or something like that so it's it's very light-hearted yeah well i'm very much sort of writing it like uh, my worry with like self-help books is that you, you you sort of expect the person to have all the answers and they're often written from sort of like the higher plane Mm. and i'm definitely writing it from sort of inside the mess from inside the, you know i i'm rubbish you know at my being mindful about my social media use it's, i twitter stresses me out no end and i get addicted to it and i mean i'm getting a bit better the one thing that's really made a difference is is just charging my phone not by my bed mm -hmm. so i don't have it when I, I'm in bed so I'm, A I'm not on it and B I'm not thinking about it when I wake up I'm not sort of going to check it in there for waking up too early I've got to actually go down to the kitchen where I'll be getting my breakfast before I sort of look at emails and stuff just little things like that because mm. I, I, I probably couldn't well I could obviously live without it but I do. there are things I enjoy about it but I've just got to learn and I'm slowly learning to be more mindful about mm. it. I find it very interesting actually that um, that you are talking about kind of creating a bit of space between yourself and social media in the book and um, maybe taking a, a more healthy approach because I can definitely see the benefits of that. But at the same time, you know, I love your tweets. You've got a huge following. So it's quite interesting that you're sort of yeah, I'm saying a, that. I'm a kind of a hypocrite because I'm, I'm, I'm sort of like, I'm preaching about, oh yeah, Twitter's bad for your health. And at the same time, 
oh, you know, I'm on Twitter saying, oh, buy my book and do this and here's my thoughts on this. And yeah, and I, I definitely feel, I feel, feel that pressure. And one of the things about social media as well is we, we, we sort of become branded versions of us rather than our own version. So I've sort of become Mr. Mental Health a little bit. So mm-hmm. I feel obliged to sort of give a daily dose of despair or hope or whatever it is mainly despair but that brand that element of branding yourself i think is really key and you talk about that in the book as well i think that's really applicable on instagram which you also mentioned in the book and um i can definitely see that sort of myself from looking at pretty much anybody's instagram account bar sort of you know really unusual ones like deliciously stellar so it's it's always people sort of with these perfect versions of themselves i mean and it is quite interesting because if, if I look at my own sort of social media accounts, Facebook now is just sort of, for fr- I've got two Facebooks, one for friends, one for sort of like the professional stuff. Twitter is just, it's quite odd because I'm talking to a load of people I've never met, but at the same time, not being the same person I am on Facebook because I don't know these people. And then on Instagram, I've got sort of lots of shiny travel pictures. So there's yeah. lots of things that I'm not posting, you know, because like I say, I, when you've got bipolar disorder, you're not taking pictures of selfies of yourself when you're depressed. Yeah. And even like, like, because uh, people say that we're, we're all comfortable talking about mental health now, which I, I'm not 100% sure of, given that so many people don't go to the doctors about it and so many people hide about it and so many suicides, for instance, happen out of the blue and things. But even within that, even within like saying that, yes, we are more comfortable talking about mental health for a podcast like this, we're obviously talking about mental health right now. But even within that, I, I still feel a pressure sometimes to talk about it a certain way. Like you're going to get more sort of likes and reaction and support if you're talking about, uh, you know, how you recovered or got over if there's a story about, you know, you feel obliged to say, oh, that was a bad week or two years ago and look where I am now you know the sort of before and after Mm. and it's very hard when you're in the before which I sometimes still am you know I'm mainly after because I'm not having another sort of breakdown but I have massive months of anxiety and depression Mm. all kinds of weird things and within those moments it's very hard especially now like I've, I've created my position I've put out my stall almost as like someone who talks about mental health and having sort of advice and stuff and sometimes i feel like i don't have a clue you know i just i just you know i I, i'm sort of exhibiting my symptoms rather than offering my solutions so a lot of the talk about mental health because we are talking about it more but there's still this idea that this is a celebrity fashion that it's a fad that that it's trendy to talk about mental illness and that everything's overdiagnosed now and everything's got a label and we're medicalizing there's a new type of stigma and there's you know we are talking about it but i think like because there's so much mystery surrounding mental health and and i just want to not necessarily have any answers but to try and be asking the right kind of questions Mm. it's really interesting as well sort of like you're saying on twitter in in your book and you touched on it just then the way that i think people sort of feel like they have to almost talk in a certain way and only voice certain opinions i think it's for whatever reason i think it's it's very unusual to find people who are 100 percent authentic on social media because i mean i think we all edit ourselves Mm. so sort of put out the things that we know first of all that will get likes and shares but also um you know the the popular kind of opinions 
Um, and it's quite strange. You mentioned in the book sort of like the ideas of mass hysteria and thing, which is absolutely a fascinating idea to me anyway. You mentioned nuns that started Stop mewing, yeah. <laughs> which is they are hilarious. Meowing, yeah. and but the... then you apply that to, um, to Twitter. Which and... is just, yeah, it's just like lots of meowing. And <laughs> yeah. it's like, I feel like, yeah, you start to think, am I strange? Because I can see both sides of an argument and like, that's mm. almost sacrilegious now on Twitter, isn't it? You've got to have your sort of political tribe mm. and you've got to be very, very much seeing one side of an argument and there's an us and them and it's a good and evil and maybe yeah. it's something to do with the era of Trump and Brexit or whatever, but it's very binary and it's like most things aren't, are they? You know, like mm. part of life is sort of being a, a bit self-critical and also empathising with the other person who, who's, you know, and it's a very sort of judgy age, which itself isn't, always good for mental health yeah but yeah but mm. also it's so easy to feel angry on twitter you, mm. you, if you start your day with twitter like within five minutes you've got something to be offended by or angry about like recently for instance uh, i'm in the book world and lionel shriver said something uh, rather dodgy about a publisher penguin who, who wants to sort of combat diversity and stuff and rather than people tweeting about how it's such a good thing that penguin are doing this it's just loads of people piling on, understandably, but also quite aggressively to the person who said the bad thing. And we very much want to have our sort of villains. And it's very easy. Negativity is so much easier on Twitter than mm. positivity rather than trying to like well, one thing mental health taught me and anxiety taught me when I want to get out of an anxiety patch and I'm lucky enough that I can get out of them. But when I want to, it, it's never by focusing on the anxiety it's focusing on where we want to be. But I feel like social media encourages us to focus on the negative or where we are rather than do the sort of bigger picture utopian stuff. You also say some very interesting things in your book about sort of how self-critical we are now. And um, again, sort of understandably so because of maybe things like Instagram, the way that not just young people, probably everyone is now very, it feels like everybody's got this idea of perfectionism. You know, nobody's ever beautiful enough or thin enough mm. or has the you know the perfect skin or the perfect kim kardashian figure or all yeah. this sort of thing i think basically if we were totally happy with everything we had you know much of our economy our consumer society would sort of collapse because we we, we essentially most of us far more than 90 percent of us in this country have shelter we have food we have running water from a tap we have the things that the sort of neolithic people who you know and we've still got those neolithic minds and bodies the things that they had to worry about we don't have to worry about there's no bear that's going to kill us we're, we're you're not going to be ravaged by wolves we're not going to run out of water it, we have everything we need so if, if but if if we felt like we had everything we need then a how would we keep going but also b what would we spend our money on we're sort of in a society which is, encourages us to want and if you think, you know, the original meaning of the word want was lack, you know, we've got all these lacks inside us, we've got all these wants. And so we're never, I notice in my, as I get older, I always set a sort of goal for myself where I'm slightly jealous of someone else or wanting this or wanting that. And then I get the thing. Sometimes I get the thing and I stay happy for about a week. And then instantly my brain finds another reason. And, it, you know, I think, that's a fundamentally human thing. But I think also our human emotions are being manipulated, deliberately ma manipulated sometimes by um, 
all kinds of things, politicians, obviously, but also like marketing companies, you know, is that so, you know, to get us to buy something, we're made to feel anxious about something. So to get us to buy anti-aging moisturizer, we're, we've got to obviously feel unhappy about aging. I mean, imagine if all that, mar- the billions of marketing money that goes into anti-aging products, if all that messaging was put into being totally okay with being out of being at age and actually you don't need to have any creams and this that and never you know mm. would be feeling a lot better if all these marketing messages instead of saying this is happiness you know it's always like uh, because you're worth it you've got to buy this it's like well why not just be worth it and you don't need to mm. you're worth yeah it already absolutely i really love some of the things that you sort of pepper through that throughout the book things like that things that I've heard before but I think it's definitely worth repeating so one of my friends loves sort of saying comparison is the thief of joy and you mm. mentioned that in your book and that's absolutely true I think um, yeah and obviously social media it's just one constant comparison you can't with the best will in the world it's very hard to spend a long time with Instagram without thinking why aren't I leaning against a palm tree in Bali or Mexico and mm. <laughs> this glamorous type, you know what I mean and you don't know that person's reality but they're present you know they might have spent all day in 7,000 photos and tons of arguments with whoever's around them to get that image but that's what we're looking at what, why? You know. in terms of sort of the way that the book finishes it's really nice because it's sort of then because you've assessed sort of the state that the world might be in at the moment and generally how it might be affecting people's health not just their mental health but health overall could you sort of summarize for us the key things that people can do to sort of feel a bit better the main one i love is basically just kind of getting going outside a bit more and seeing people i mean firstly i have to say with a big sort of caveat i don't think my, my my general feeling is about mental health is you kind of have to be your own laboratory you have to sort of like learn to be in tune with yourself and not everything works across the board not everything is everyone's triggers you know i worked out like caffeine's bad for me but other people really need and depend on their caffeine and stuff like that but the overall general broad vague point is that i feel like we're not aware we're not mindful to use that sort of word of um how fast things are changing and how we use things so just to like be aware of how much time we're spending on the internet how we feel after it to question ourselves do we feel happier is it important that we send this tweet you know what do we do is anything we can come back get you sort of priorities um right in life like that and and to, to sort of like have moments have spaces away maybe away from your phone, away from the TV, away. Like I like now, for instance, when I walk the dog, I leave the phone in, in the house to, to understand the importance of sleep, of sort of a regular routine of eating regularly and just sort of being kind to yourself, being the friend to yourself that we're so often not and we get so distracted. And um, I think it's often about stripping back because I think the main problem for our minds one of the main problems certainly for anxiety is we're kind of overloaded we're overloaded with choice whatever it is whether it's podcasts tv shows books uh magazines um uh, you know uh, uh even friendships everything we, we've got more of everything we've got so much choice we can sort of the internet's told us you know when um there's that famous Microsoft slogan from the nineties, where do you want to go today? And the sort of rhetorical answer was, you know, you can go anywhere basically. Um, but 
uh, that that choice is so stressful. So sometimes it's about having less choice. It's about sort of like stripping things out. It's about, you know, not having every single app on our phone. It's about decluttering. It's about stripping things away. It's about digital detoxes. It's about sort of getting back and listening to ourselves and understanding. It's just reaching that sort of point where actually everything we really need in life we've already got and it's ourselves and it sounds really sort of cheesy and everything but it's it's actually you know we're not lacking no one can make us feel like we're lacking unless we let ourselves feel like we're lacking we don't lack anything and who's anyone else to tell us that we're lacking something thanks very much to our guest matt haig so usually this is a bit of the podcast where Ellen and I would have a chat about what our guest has said, just discussing it, all that sort of stuff. But I'm here on my own this week, so you just get to listen to my thoughts. So I really enjoyed chatting to Matt. Um, he's got a really fantastic book out and it's incredibly interesting. One of the things that I really liked that he was chatting about was just how social media is really affecting everybody's day-to-day life, the kind of pressure that it's putting on people. But also what I really took from his book, I really like the way that he sort of presents sort of these issues we have, but also goes through the book with suggestions for how we can improve, how we can sort of step back and maybe improve our mental health. So one of the things I really liked in terms of that was the way that he was just sort of saying, well, look, you don't have to have all this stuff to be happy. You don't have to be sort of massively successful to be happy. A lot of the time, a really good way to be happy is to take a step back from everything, you know, go outside, take your dog for a walk, as he said, that makes him happy, meet up with a friend, do sort of like the simple things. And I think it's really important to kind of remind yourself of those things, you know, whether you have mental health issues or not, because, you know, the sort of world that we live in now, it's sort of 24-7, everything's sort of now, 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 and everyone's sort of chasing after so much stuff. But I mean, from my own experience as well, you know, you can achieve things and you're supposed to feel kind of really happy about them. But in all honesty, a lot of the time, you know, just spending time with your family is the thing that's going to bring you a lot of joy. If you've been affected by any of the things we chatted about, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123. Thank you very much to our guest, Matt Haig, and thanks to our producer, Sam Bonham, and Lucy Baker for her jingles. So you can find us online. We've got a lovely safe space for chatting about mental health issues. It's called Mentally Yours, and that's on Facebook. Or if you're on Twitter, you can find us at Mentally Yours, which is at Mentally Yours with YRS at the end. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.